electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Steve Grasso, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, and Pete Najarian. Tonight on Fast, we are awaiting pricing for one of the hottest IPOs of the year. Robinhood numbers expected at any moment. Our team is working the phones. We'll bring it to you as soon as we've got it. Plus, we're tracking the after-hours action shares of Facebook, Ford, and PayPal. All three stocks on the move right now in earnings. We're breaking down the numbers. And later, CME Group CEO Terry Duffy joins us exclusively. That company reporting stronger than expected results today. We'll talk to you about that, the rise of the retail investor, and much more. But we start off with an earnings alert on Facebook. That stock is lower after reporting results. A call is underway. Let's bring in Julia Borston with the very latest. Julia. Well, Melissa, Facebook's results soaring past both top and bottom line expectations with 56% revenue growth rather than the 49% that was anticipated. But the stock is down about four hours after hitting an all-time high today on warnings about what is coming ahead, saying that in the third and fourth quarters, they expect year-over-year revenue growth rates to decelerate significantly on a sequential basis as they lap periods of increasingly strong growth. CFO David Weiner writing in the company's release, quote, we continue to expect increased ad targeting headwinds in 2021 from regulatory and platform changes, notably the recent iOS updates, which we expect to have a greater impact in the third quarter compared to the second quarter. This is factored into our outlook. Now, another factor to watch here in earnings, revenue growth was driven by an increase in the price of ads, up 47% in the quarter, while the average number of ads grew 6%. And growth stagnated in the U.S. and Canada did not add any daily or monthly active users to that user base between the first quarter and the second quarter. Melissa, the call is kicking off right now. We'll be listening carefully for any insight into how Facebook's investments in commerce and also content creators will help pay off over the long run. Back over to you. Julia, I'm curious as to why we are hearing so much from Facebook in terms of the impact, the headwinds, um, particularly in the third quarter and the back half of the year, compared to a Twitter and a Snapchat, which didn't sound like it had the same level of concerns that Facebook has. Well, look, I think that Facebook had raised the red flag earlier, you know, as early as early as January about the impact that Apple's operating system change would have on the company. That impact has not been felt by Snap, by Twitter or by Facebook in any meaningful way in the second quarter. Facebook is the one that would feel the biggest impact of that. And the third quarter is when that would really hit. And then also, Melissa, just looking at the scope and the scale of the growth that Facebook has already had, I think that this is a comparison game um, to a certain extent. And, and as they juggle these two issues, the fact that they had such massive growth last year and the fact that they're coming up against these these tar- ad targeting headwinds, that's going to be a factor. They also point to regulatory headwinds. So we will learn more about that on the call. But the question is whether that's just about the restrictions they have in terms of ad targeting for privacy concerns or whether that's about restrictions to any potential M&A they might want to do or limits to that as they anticipate maybe more antitrust scrutiny down the line. 
All right, Julia, keep us posted. Thank you, Julia Borston. Um, you know, add to all of this uh, the run-up in Facebook shares on the back of good earnings from Twitter, from Snap, and from Alphabet yesterday. Guy, what did you make of this quarter? I thought it was a remarkable quarter. First of all, I haven't seen Steve in person since March. It's, it was wonderful to see him. It's great to see him. We're finally starting to get back to normal. I thought the, qu the quarter was outstanding. Julia just said it. Operating margins, 42%. I mean, the street was looking for 37 There's nothing not to like about the quarter. It's clearly the guide that has people concerned. I was convinced I'd come in here tonight. We'd be talking about a $400 Facebook stock. That's not the case. I still think the quarter's fine. I think the business is intact. I think they're throwing some cold water on top of it. And I happen to think that this sell-off is a buying opportunity. I, I think he's 100% right. I think it's self-imposed. I think they're sitting there getting out ahead saying, hey, things might not be so great going forward because things have been pretty damn awesome in the past for Facebook. Look at the chart. Every time we've talked about privacy issues, every time we've talked about regulatory issues, every time we talk about political headwinds, what does it do? Takes it, gobbles it up, moves right the heck on, and that's what it's probably going to do now. Mm -hmm. um, Tim, the implication of all this is that Facebook is conservative in its guide. We've seen that in the past. Um, so do you discount... Do we, do we discount the message they're telegraphing tonight? I'm not sure you discount it. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with being conservative. And so what as investors should do with this, I, I, the place where I'm a little disappointed, and I, I get the two-year stack, and I get where actually if you read through the lines, it's still uh, very impressive. Um, the ad growth uh, as a function, uh, ad revenue as a function of, of really higher pricing versus wider, more organic growth, especially among small and medium-sized businesses. That was something that stood out to me, which is that great that they're getting higher prices, but while everybody else is growing their footprint and, and really uh, across the board, we, we've talked about Twitter, we've talked about Google last night up 69%. This is the place where everyone expected this to be gangbusters. So if there's some disappointment, it's, it's, it's the detail within the ad revenue. It's not the guide. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's that ultimately um, they may not be growing as fast as their peers. I don't understand that because, look, the, 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 the tailwind that's helping all of these companies, Facebook is, is really near the front of the line, if not at the front of the line. And there's no one to challenge in the short to medium term. Um, so that's why I think the guys are, are pointing out just why, you know, a conservative guy doesn't mean a whole lot. Remember, there's a reason why the stock trades cheap, though, to, to the mega cap tech names. And I think it continues to. Unless if you dovetail the, the headwinds that it's cited, and that is the impact of the, um, of the privacy update to the OS, um, that if it makes it more difficult to target, can they actually charge more for the ads? And is that rise in ad rate as opposed to volume of ads? Is that sustainable? Pete, um, what's your take here? Yeah, it's an interesting concept. And I tell you, the, the, the guide being as conservative as it is, is uh, refreshing, but it's also a little bit surprising, I think, given the fact that, that this has been Facebook. They've been dealing with this for how many years now? We've talked about Zuckerberg getting up in front of somebody in Washington, D.C., it seems like, every few months. But I think the reality is this. We have to just step back for just one moment and go back to last Thursday. Stock was trading 350. We got all the way to 377 today, all-time highs, before we had this pullback from there. And then, obviously, a 3 or 4% drop now. So I'm not overly concerned, Mel. I still think that the upside is there. I think the $400, like Guy is talking about, is not that far away. I think people will shake this off. But I think the reality is, yeah, the targeting is something that, that Facebook absolutely has taken advantage of. They've done an unbelievable job with some of that. But I think the reality is um, they're still going to be able to do a lot more than folks think. And I think that when you look at their ad 
growth at 56% on a trillion dollar. Take a look at the market caps right now of Snap and Twitter. When you look at those and then you look at this trillion dollar company that just continues to be growing at the pace that they are, it tells me that there's still plenty of room to the upside and I still think it's too cheap. Yeah, I agree with Pete on that. And it's interesting that Tim brought it up, Steve, as well, and Pete. You know, the fact that obviously these concerns have been out there, but this within the last month, month and a half, you had President Biden, and I'm probably paraphrasing, so forgive me, effectively saying, you know, Facebook is killing people. Don't dismiss that because, you know, they probably got together in the boardroom and said, you know, maybe we should just sort of tamp things down a bit here. So I think that guide might, that might be part of this guide as well. I still think the business is extraordinary. And to just look at the numbers, and I think the guide is probably... Um, sandbagging just a bit, given the, given the environment that we find how much, ourselves in. How much of the privacy issues do you think are the, just the conversation du jour? How much of this do you think are going to go away with the next headline that kicks it out? And if so, then Facebook is going to give us a tremendous discount to where we would normally uh, be paying. I mean, that's, that's my feeling. Do, do you feel like people really care? I think we don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I think that people really care until you press a button and say, I, what am I getting? What am I giving? <laughs> and as soon as you decide, is it worth what I'm getting, uh-huh. then we'll know. All right. Well, let's get more reaction to Facebook earnings from Fast Money Friend and Managing Partner at Loop Ventures, Gene Munster. Gene, what do you make of the quarter? Well, first, I have a sense of deja vu when I look at those commentary. I remember a couple of years ago when they first started using this very conservative language. I thought this is the beginning of the end of Facebook, and I was wrong. Uh, They have two-thirds of the global internet population. Their products are addictive, and advertisers crave that reach, and none of that's changed. So when I think about the commentary, I'll just quickly put it through the translator, what they said about the revenue growth for the September quarter. It's going to be around 25%. This is effectively what they're saying. The street was at 31%, so that, that much big. They'll probably beat that number and end up right back where you're at, which gets me to my bottom line is that as you start to move away from mid-50% growth to maybe 30% to 20% next year, Facebook uh, not surprisingly falls into the same camp that all these other big tech companies are, which is going to spend time over the next several months as investors start to rethink, potentially re-rate the multiple going from high growth to difficult comps. And so uh, from a stock perspective, I think we're sideways. And I think that Eventually, all the benefits and the power of their brand that your esteemed panel has talked about today are true, and that will benefit. I will add one other piece to it that hasn't been uh, talked about as much here, but uh, over the next, uh, call it 50 minutes on their earnings call, investors are going to get a drubbing on the, on the term uh, metaverse. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg is on a mission to educate the world about the metaverse and the potential that Facebook has around it. And I mention that because I am a believer in the metaverse, even though I don't want to spend time in the metaverse. I think that it is uh, going to be part of the future. And I think Facebook has an opportunity to finish my thought long term to start to build maybe an exciting growth story around the metaverse that isn't reflected in shares today. So as a believer in the metaverse, Gene, I mean, how much of a potential do you think this could be for Facebook? And I don't know how you think about Facebook thinking about the metaverse, if there is a Facebook metaverse, if it goes into an existing metaverse and creates, I don't know, Facebook land where you can interact with friends uh, on Facebook, but in the metaverse and transact in the metaverse. I mean, how do you how do you think about Facebook's role? 
Well, what they want to be, and I'm uh, going off some recent public comments from Zuckerberg, is that essentially they want to be a platform that other people can plug into. And when you uh, uh, do that, you can make money a lot of different ways. It can be an advertising-based model in these virtual worlds. You can have advertising models. Uh, you could have uh, ways that you charge different developers to plug into the, the metaverse. Uh, you can have entertainment. You can come out with different content within the metaverse. Effectively, it is uh, just a totally digitally immersive uh, uh, world. Uh, if you don't believe in it, just look at what's happening with Roblox and the two hours plus of daily engagement from their users. This is just an extension of it. And I still haven't answered your question, Melissa. What is the impact to, to, to Facebook here? It's the next operating system. It's why Apple right. is uh, aggressively going after augmented reality as part of the metaverse. Uh, Google wants to be there, too. And I don't know what that uh, put a specific number on it. But just the hope and the dream around that, I think, could uh, re-rate the multiple higher over time. It's not going to be a light switch tonight. Investors aren't going to be, uh, I guess, drinking the Kool-Aid uh, on behalf of Facebook and the metaverse. But I do believe that over the next year, uh, uh, let's put it this way. If you try in uh, Word or your different word processors, when I type metaverse, it comes up as a spelling error. Uh, it will not be a spelling error in the years to come. <laughs> All right, we'll see about that. Um, Gene, though, is Facebook ultimately, I mean, how much of a growth company is it if it is saying that um, revenue growth comparisons year on two years back, so pre-pandemic, comparisons of pre-pandemic will decline modestly? Modestly. How do we, so how do we view it? So what that means is, so pre-pandemic, in the last two quarters of 2019, they grew at 25%. And so the street was at 31% for the September quarter. So they're saying it's going to be modestly below that, call it 25% below that. But uh, back to the deja vu thought is that they've said this before, they're going to beat that, it'll end up being 30%. But there is something to be noted. There is a reason for it to trade down today is that they're not saying it's going to be 30% and then they end up doing 40%. And keep in mind, Facebook beat expectations that had risen by 5%, Google beat by 10 Apple 11%. So there is this sense, and this is kind of the, that near-term theme, and they had it in their guidance, we're, just, we're exiting what was just an epic tailwind for the company. And uh, they're going to end up at a, an impressive growth rate, 20%. That's really good for next year. And they'll get some credit for that, but it's not going to be 55 all right, Gene, thanks. Always good to see you. Gene Munster, Loop Ventures. Um, Steve Grasso, what would your question be on the conference call? I do like the idea. We all sat around uh, the Fast Money table when they bought Instagram, and they had 13 employees, and we said, what are they going to do with that? So I think they're in the infancy in the metaverse. They're in the infancy yeah. VR, AI. Um, I would ask what they really think the regulatory headwinds are in their words. Um, we will keep an eye on Facebook shares are still lower right now. Uh, the call is underway. We've got another earnings alert. Meantime, this one on PayPal shares are under pressure in the after hours. Kate Rooney's got the details. Hey, Kate. Hey, Melissa. PayPal shares down more than 5% here after reporting lower than expected revenue for the second quarter and coming in light on guidance. I spoke to CEO Dan Shulman right before the earnings call kicked off. He says the weakness was due to eBay transitioning off of PayPal's platform, the e-commerce giant has been moving away from using PayPal and onto its own payment system. Shulman says it's happening, quote, faster than we expected. And he describes this as really a timing issue. He says they knew that volumes were going to go away eventually. 
And the sooner they're flushed out, the better. Shulman says it will highlight how strongly the core business is growing for PayPal. And on the call just now, uh, Shulman said PayPal expects eBay to make up about 2% of payment volume by the end of this year. He also mentioned the Delta variant and some renewed fears around COVID, potentially moving people back to online shopping. That, he says, could weigh on travel and leisure spending. But he does say that online shopping has been resilient even as economies reopen. Total payment volume for the quarter coming in at $311 billion. That was up 40% year on year. PayPal is also upping its full-year guidance for payment volume. Total accounts, meanwhile, for PayPal topping $400 million in the quarter. That was up 16% year over year. And finally, Venmo. That made up about $58 billion of that payment volume with 58% growth year over year. Melissa, back to you. Kate, I am shocked. No mention of crypto from you. (laughs) I know. I've been waiting for it. I turned the call off uh, so I could hop on Fast Money. We haven't heard anything about crypto yet, and there was nothing in the release. But that is definitely what I'm listening for on the call. All right. Kate, keep us posted. Thank you. Kate Rooney in San Francisco on PayPal. Um, Pete Najarian, what did you think of this quarter? Well, I think it was a pretty solid quarter, but there was a couple of areas that they seemed a little bit weaker, and they talked. she talked about the guidance and so forth. I think one of the problems that I've had with PayPal, this is a name that I was in for quite a while, and then I got out because it seemed to me like it was really getting stretched. I, you know, when we look at a lot of these various stocks, Mel, we talk about are they stretched? You know, what, what is the P.E. level now, and what is the growth rate? Well, the growth rate is slowed somewhat when you look at some of PayPal's numbers, and yet you look at a, a stock that's trading in a P.E. somewhere in the north of 60 plus. So uh, it seems to me like it's a little bit ahead of itself. I'd love to see an, enough of a pullback to get back in there. But I haven't uh, you know, this is just minor six or seven or eight percent to the downside. I think it has to pull back significantly more. I am impressed with Venmo. I can understand why that that was such a great acquisition. But other than that, Mel, I think that there's some concerns for me about the valuation level. I can hear the Twitterverse already screaming, Pete, at what level (laughs) when you say a significant pullback. What does Pete mean by that? Pete, what do you mean by that? Well, when I look at the P.E. trading, literally, I'm looking at it right now, and it's trading about 67, somewhere like that, Mel. I think that number has to come down, and the way that comes down is the stock has to move significantly, or they're going to have to really jump up the earnings. I don't think they're going to see the jump in the earnings, so this stock has to come down I hate to say it, but at least another 50 bucks or more before it starts to get a little bit more appetizing. Yeah. Tim? Stock's been a beast. Look, it rallied 25% into these numbers, largely, though, on a six-month basis. has done nothing but is up 70% year over year. All of the trends uh, that are in, in certainly cashless payments, et cetera, um, the digitization, uh, e-commerce, it, it's fantastic for PayPal. What's the multiple? Pete's saying, hey, too high. Um, quarterly revenue's up 17%. It's sweet spot time for these guys. They should be growing fast. But it, it's hard to argue with, with where this company is positioned. And, and it had an enormous run into these numbers. So, I, you know, I would give them a bit of a I'd give them a pass on at the price action. Um, we want to see it grow higher, but um, companies well positioned. Yeah. In every single earnings report we've asked when we see the stock reaction, does this support the multiple? Do the earnings support the multiple? And that's where we're at at a market 
at record highs. Yeah, to Pete's point, when you trade it at 60 yeah. times next year's numbers, you can't come in and li- you can't come in and disappoint because actually, if you're looking high in the street for PayPal, I think it was a buck 22, and they didn't come anywhere close to that. And then the subsequent guide. When Pete's talking about levels, you go back. <coughs> I think the May low or so was 240. That makes a lot of sense. I'm not necessarily sure we're going to get there, but 240 should be on your radar screen, and it becomes a valuation story. You know, you, what you're seeing is companies are now. Now we've seen this over the last couple of days. Decent quarters, not great guidance, yeah. and those stocks are getting punished. It's interesting. But, but if you look at the numbers, and uh, users up 16%, Venmo up 58%, they're still blowing the doors out uh, on, on their competition. The other flip side of it is how much competition has come on in the last couple of years for PayPal. So I'm glad Pete said it. I'm glad Guy said it, because if I would have said down another $45, it seems insane, but now the three of us say it, it seems realistic. So 240 is where you buy the stock. You just normalize it, yeah, basically. Exactly. All right, coming up, the great bounce. China rebounding in a very big way today. The K-Web ETF hosting its best day ever. So did this trade just turn a major corner, or is there more pain ahead? We're digging into that. But first, we're all over after hours action in four. That stock is cruising higher on results. We'll bring you the details when Fast Money returns. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Ford. Shares are higher in the after-hour session. Let's get to Phil Lebeau to break down the numbers. Phil. Melissa, we are about 20 minutes into the Ford analyst call. And just a few minutes ago, CEO Jim Farley said that the chip supply situation 
It is improving, though it's still tenuous because they're relying on the, uh, the company Renesis in Japan, which is rebuilding following a fire. But those are the types of positive comments that are pushing shares of Ford higher. It also helps that the company reported a surprise profit. Yes, a profit of 13 cents a share. The street was expecting a loss of three cents a share. Automotive revenue coming in just a little bit under expectations. The outlook, they're going to be raising their full year earnings before interest and taxes by $3.5 billion. Full-year free cash flow will now come in between 4 and $5 billion. And the second half volume, in comparison to the first half, will be up by 30%. And then there's the plans for the electric vehicle portfolio. First and foremost, what's happening with the F-150 Lightning? The company announcing that reservations now top 120,000 vehicles. Remember, they're supposed to start delivering those lightning next year. The second half commodity costs, however, that is a headwind that they're going to be dealing with. And they're more than offsetting the production gains. As you take a look at shares of Ford in the last year, they have 60 to 70,000 vehicles that are essentially built but not finished. They are awaiting components, whether it's because they have a couple of chips that are missing, whatever it might be. They expect to clear out that inventory, Melissa, in the third quarter. So they've got some nice headwinds that will help them in the second half of this year. But again, as Jim Farley just mentioned on the conference call, it's a tenuous situation here. It's not as though you can sit there and say, yeah, we definitely know we're going to have all the chips that we want. It's improving, but it's still, it's not exactly where they want to be. And they expect that to improve as the second half of the year goes through. Um, Phil, before we get all hopped up about the 120,000 reservations for the electric um, pickup yeah. truck, what do those reservations represent exactly? Do people have to put money down? Is that refundable? Yeah, Is that you're putting a down $100. You're putting, yeah, you're putting down a $100 deposit. But look, it's a matter of semantics in terms of do you call it a reservation? Do you call it a pre-order? How many of those people will ultimately follow through right. and order the vehicle? The expectation is pretty high. Uh, these are people who... You know, are, are there some people who take a flyer and say, sure, put $100 down, and then maybe down the road they're like, I don't, I don't really want to buy it. Maybe I, my situation is different. Maybe I don't have the job that I had. Maybe I don't need the vehicle that I thought I would need. Um, but most of these, and it, this is the case with most of these vehicle reservations, most of the time the people follow through and order that vehicle. All right. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau you on Ford. Tim Seymour. What did you make of the quarter? And, and also the commentary that inflationary pressures will persist or could persist into 2022. Yeah, welcome to the club. I mean, who hasn't told us that? And, and, and look, Ford got out there already and they've talked about the, the units, uh, 700,000 units Q2 in terms of affected by, by semis and whatnot. Um, he also mentioned, though, that the order book, I think the term was spring loaded. Um, like for, for investors, the thesis is the following. Ford, yeah, we know about the F-150. Very exciting. Um, J.P. Morgan, I quote them. This isn't my quote. Ford now appears to be progressing more quickly toward fully autonomous driving than Tesla um, with its 9.7 times multiple versus Tesla's 100. So, uh, you know, that that's that's great stuff. But the most important thing is that Ford is profitable and higher warranty costs, losses in Europe, losses in Latin America are a thing of the past. This is a company that's run very well. So uh, you have enormous exposure to autonomous and to EV, uh, but you have a company that's profitable at a time when the auto cycle is, is really in full swing. So uh, trading less than 10 times, the company's very, very attractive to me. Pete, would you rather? Ooh, I'm going to oh. ask you this question a very long time, I think. <laughs> Ford or Tesla? <laughs> Oh, boy, that, that's tough. I, you know what? I'd have to lean towards Tesla. And, and I only say that because of the advantages that they've got 
because of all the data they've been able to gather along the way. And Gene Munster has been all over this. I know he was on earlier, but he's been all over this for a very long period of time as well. I do like Ford, though, Mel. I mean, as Tim points out, it's profitable. That's something that's obviously key. And the fact that the biggest biggest roadblock right now is the fact that these shortages are there or inflationary side of things. I mean, that's the problem is just trying to get the chips into these vehicles. So the global chip shortage is, is affecting so many different businesses, but particularly in the automobile business, I think Ford is really on the right path going forward. It was up 80% back in May or June, and then now it's back up. It's about 50, 57% so far this year, year to date. But I think this has a lot more room to run to the upside, especially from what they were telling us about their full year. I, I like this company a lot. He played the game extraordinarily well, the Would You Rather game. He did. Game. He came he out, he gave me an rules. answer decisively. He Cogent. didn't go off the board or, you know, all these nonsense. And he also surrounded the trade. He surrounded the trade. That's impressive as well. Do you have anything to that contribute was a to the shot at me. Yeah, I do have something to okay. add to the conversation. Go it's ahead. no surprise that Ford is being run better if you look at where the CEO went to school, number one. Number two, <laughs> yeah, Tim also baby. mentioned profitability. <laughs> free cash flow story now. It is absolutely a free cash flow story, mm-hmm. and it's never – shouldn't say never. It hasn't been for a decade. And on valuation, if you give them a 10 multiple, which they are deserved of, in my opinion, you're talking about an $18.5 stock. So I do like Ford here. All right. We're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Chinese stocks bouncing back in a big way with gains across the board. So how should you trade the group? Plus, put your seats in their upright and locked position because this stock is taking off. Boeing flying high on the back of some strong earnings. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Shei, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the rebound in Chinese tech stocks today. The K-Web Chinese Internet ETF snapping a four-day losing streak, surging more than 10% for its best day ever. The large-cap China ETF, the FXI, posted its best gain in over a year. So is the route in these names over? And, Tim, of course, we can't ignore the fact that Chinese regulators called a virtual meeting with major bank execs over the there. Banks, yeah. And they really showed concern that, that these market losses were, were steepening. Well, they, they, they appear to. Uh, and there's some talk that they were in the market buying and that their version of the plunge protection team was hard at work. And, and I, you know, look, I, I spent a lot of time investing in EM. I've talked to a lot of colleagues uh, and former colleagues over the last you know, a couple of days. I don't think anybody at the end of today is like, oh, wow, I missed the bounce here uh, and, and I feel better. Um, I, I think you, you've had an enormous move lower. I think China's need to control the digital economy and actually control the digital yuan uh, is something that is going to force them at right at, you know, it's, 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 it's head on to a dynamic where I, I think a lot of these tech companies don't uh, feel like they're given room to move. So um, I think you've seen some exodus from, you know, traditional long-only mutual fund investors. I think you've got dedicated folks that still have to be here, but they're probably going to spend a lot more time focused on India, South Korea, and other markets. Mm -hmm. So do I feel better today? The price action's great. I have a lot of exposure uh, in this part of the world. 
um, but I don't think that you've suddenly gotten the sense that China is now going to step back. Um, they are motivated, uh, and I think Xi Jinping has, has cemented his role as dictator, uh, and ultimately that power control means I don't think they care as much in the short term. We have to give kudos to two of our Fast Money friends who, uh, who are in the pantheon or Parthenon of technical analysts, and that would be Carter Braxtonworth and Chris Verone, who sure. both separately yesterday called for a major bounce in Chinese stocks. And look what we got today, Steve. So whenever you think about China, Chinese investing or investing in China, you always think about the numbers are what, this, what they say they are. So we've never, even though we question them, Price action, as Guy likes to say, is truth. So if the stocks go up, if they say the numbers are great, then everything's great. Right now, they have a vested interest in trying to clear the deck. I don't think the clear the deck is over yet. For me, how can you buy it yet? Mm-hmm. You're still early. So we're talking about technicians. A technical move is a lot different right, right. than a fundamental move. Sure. But both of them can obviously make you money. So I do agree they were grossly oversold. But to dip your toe in the water when you don't know what the next headline is tomorrow or five minutes, I couldn't do it. I mean, think of how many investors thought that when Alibaba paid that gigantic fine last year, that things were clear for that stock. And with every headline now, Pete, you see Alibaba shares move lower. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, Mel, quite frankly. And yeah, the sell-off has been extreme, and we've all been watching it very closely. It's why I think if you're going to play anything uh, outside of the United States, specifically China, I I really do like and prefer to be over in the options world. We did have a lot of K-Web buying today. We did have a lot of FXI buying today as well, Mel. They were going out in time, looking for a little bit more time for a recovery. But that's the only way I would play it. And you might even avoid, normally I wouldn't say this, I'm not a big ETF guy. But I think in the case of China, I would be more interested in the FXI or KWEB versus some of the individual names, just because it's just so difficult right now. Now, NEO is one of the names that I have owned. I own some calls in there right now, but I will not own these stocks. I'm trading only through the options because the headline risk is just too high. Great job by Carter and Christopher Rome. 180 was the low back in March of 2020 in Alibaba. Got down to 189 today. It's interesting. In earnings next Tuesday, I believe. Actually, Baba, for the first time in a while, might be interesting for a trade here, Melms. All right. Coming up, gaining altitude. Shares of Boeing taking off uh, on the back of a surprise profit. Fasten your seatbelts. We're trading that one next. And CME Group CEO Terry Duffy will join us in just a few minutes to talk earnings, stocks, and much more. You won't want to miss that exclusive interview. Fast Money's back right after this. We have an after-hours alert on Uber. Shares are sharply lower in the after-hours. Seema Modi's got the story. Seema. Melissa, shares of Uber falling. A block of 45 million shares being offered by Goldman Sachs. That, according to Bloomberg. So this would be an equity offering that would thereby dilute existing shareholders. We have reached out to Uber for comment. And, yes, we are looking at shares of Uber down about 4% here in extended trade. Melissa. All right, Seema, thank you. Seema Modi. Uh, Guy, what do you make of this headline? So I don't know what today is. It's the 28th or something? So August 4th. Don't, see, you're making a face. I'm asking no, you a question. Just, it's July 28th. You have a August, calendar app, so check I it. I do. I'm looking at it now. August 4th would be next Wednesday, not Tuesday, Wednesday. Now, why do I bring that up? Because Uber's going to report on Wednesday. So this is how my mind works. If the earnings are going to be great, they would wait, in my opinion, till around that time to uh, have a headline like this come out. Why would you do this ahead of earnings? That's just the way... My, 
Not saying anything. That's how I think, though. That's a trader's mentality. Right. The more you know, the more you know. Put that right. music up. Yeah. I mean, you think about sort of the worst case scenario, conspiracy theory-esque um, explanation. So, Steve, I'll go to you. Yeah. What do you think? What's today's date? I said the 28th. So, so when I look back on the chart, I look back at a couple of dates uh, back in, in November 2020. It looks like the chart is rolling over to those levels. So not to be so maybe I just caught his pessimism. Mm. But when I look at the chart, it's definitely a continuation of the role here. So I'd have to agree that this is a setup that is definitely one for the Bears. Pete, why don't you weigh in? What date is it, Pete? No, not on that. Don't laugh. You know, Pete, don't laugh. That just encourages it, them. Do not laugh. Answer the question. What do you think of Uber? Sorry. Sure. Uh, you know, I actually own calls in here, Mel, and I'm a little bit disappointed that I do because I, I've, I've tried to teach myself not to be involved in this name because of the fact that they, they still have not proven to us when. They all tell us when they're going to start making money, but they need to start making money. They're not, and that's sort of, sort of one of the biggest problems that I've got right now with the stock. It's why I'm in the options, not the stock itself. But I got to tell you something. I, it's it's storylines like this that hit, and then there will be some other storyline. There's all kinds of reason for people to have pressure on this stock. And right now, when you look at it against some of the other levels, like Steve was pointing out, I mean, 44 bucks. That seems like a level where we, we've seen before. We've tested it. It breaks through there. I think there's a lot more room to the downside. All right. Coming up, CME Group CEO Terry Duffy joins us exclusively on the back of hosting better than expected results today. We'll dive into the earnings, the rise of the retail investor, and much more. Plus, the earnings keep on coming. Amazon is on deck for tomorrow. We'll tell you how options traders are, are priming for this report. Fast Money's back in two. Miss a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. Welcome back to Fast Money. CME Group posting better than expected earnings this morning. The company is up more than 17% this year. Joining us now for an exclusive interview is CME Group Chairman and CEO Terry Duffy. He's also a friend of Fast Money. Hey, Terry, great to see you. Thanks, Melissa. I appreciate you having me. Um, trading volumes sound like they were driven uh, strongly by ag futures as well as treasuries. And I'm wondering what you foresee um, in this quarter and what you've seen so far this quarter, because we've seen some pretty whipsaw action when it comes to the moves in treasuries. We have, Melissa. You know, we're up uh, exponentially in our interest rate complex, which uh, at these price levels, one would probably question how could that be. But we are. We listened to Chair Paul talk this afternoon. I think there's a lot of confusion, even at this low interest rate environment that we're at right now. Where can it go? Can it go much lower? You know, when you look at real interest rates, are they essentially negative? And what does that mean for the economy? Does it mean the economy is stalling? So I think there's a lot of people trying to position themselves. We're looking at, you know, huge increases in the back month of our euro-dollar options contract uh, today of open interest, of positions staying open. So, you know, there's a lot of information that people are concerned about right now going forward in uh, the rate markets. Terry's not only a participant in the show from time to time, but he's an avid viewer, so welcome. Every night. And Every avid. night. It's crazy. I love it. It's avid. fantastic. So I don't know what pomp is. I'm not really sure what circumstances, but there's a lot of it going on here at the NASDAQ because tomorrow Robinhood's going to list. Thoughts on that IPO, potential yeah. headwinds? You said thoughts in general about the retail investor. You know, Guy, thank you. I think the, the retail investor, it's really interesting with the IPO 
that's potentially coming with Robinhood. You know, I think the price is somewhere between 38 and 52. It's still a pretty broad range going into tonight. So we'll see where that shakes out tomorrow. You know, you'll have a market cap somewhere if you take the midpoint around $36.5 billion. So pretty sizable company coming out. You know, it just goes to show you how many people want to be in control of their own destiny when it comes to trading. And I think that's actually a really good sign. I think one of the things that not only Robin Hood and maybe some of the other brokers got to look at from a headwind standpoint is there's a, a whole lot of concern or question from some of the regulators, as you know, especially from the SEC, around the payment for order flow and what does it mean going forward. So I think that's one of the things that they're going to have to try to explain to potential investors going forward as long as other people are as well. So this whole payment for order flow um, with the addition of Reddit and some of the GameStop trading, people have really taken notice to market structure. One of the things they've taken notice of is payment for order flow. So I think that'll be very topical when it comes to the IPO and beyond. In your opinion, Terry, is that something that is broken about the markets? Is that something that needs to be fixed? Um, do you think that retail you know, investors are getting best price as well as best execution? You know what? I think the retail investor, it, what they want is access to the marketplace and they want to make sure they can participate like everybody else. And they are getting that access not only with Robinhood, but with other platforms around the world and having that direct access. That's something very important. The whole payment for order flow, there's so many pros and cons to it, Melissa. I mean, I don't think we have enough time on this show or any of your other shows that debate this on live TV. It's going to be something that's going to be around for a long time to come unless the regulators intervene and make a decision on it, which I don't think they will in the near term. But it will be a headwind, as I say. It's going to be out there for conversation. You know, with the rise of the retail investor, Terry, you have launched, the CME has launched micro futures. Um, and yeah. I think it was your CFO who, who said it's a $100 million a year business from nothing right. a couple of years ago. And I'm wondering if you get a sense that, you know, it was launched and the thought was it could be retail product, but it could also be hedge funds. And I'm wondering who is using this product, where you're seeing the most growth. Across the board, Melissa, and it's really interesting. I said on the call also today that because of the price growth of some of the products that we list for trade, take the equity markets just in general, look at the value of the S&P 500, where it's at today versus where it was at when CMEs first listed it back in the early 80s. I mean, the growth of the value of the S&P 500 is unbelievable. So people need a little bit smaller contract to manage, and we created yes, the E-mini. And we went from the e-mini to the micro in the equities. And we're doing the same thing as it relates to the cryptocurrencies with Bitcoin, going from, you know, $8 to 60000 of Bitcoin. So we've created a little bit smaller contract for people to use. And then with West, West Texas Intermediate, think about where the market was a year and a half ago. You know, West Texas Intermediate was minus $37.50. Today it closed at $72. So that's been a market that's got a lot of interest and people want to participate in that market on both sides from the commercial and the retail side. So we want to offer them contracts that allows them to do so. Hey, Terry, it's Tim. So, right. So the, the micro treasuries, Hi, the WTI futures, the new pro, the new products were clearly evident in your numbers out today. And and so I think for, for investors, the question really is, is, is there more growth coming? Because I think it, it's a finely oiled machine. You guys have evolved in the environment. Um, and the question is, I think, on, on top line growth um, and, and ultimately profitability. Can you talk about that? Well, I mean, Tim, it, it's a good question. And obviously, it's always hard to predict volume. We're very transactionally driven on our revenue. 
Roughly 75% of our revenues are derived from transactions. Our data business has gotten much bigger. But when you look at the growth of the markets, there's a whole new uh, constituency of uh, participants who are trading our markets who never did before. You know, we acquired the next businesses yep. four years ago. And in that, we got the EBS FX platform. You're talking about 150 bank participants that never traded futures before that are going to have access to futures in a very short period of time being on a single platform. So there, in and of itself, is a great growth perspective. So you don't need just retail to grow. You have to constantly introduce commercials into your marketplace. And then, in return, retail follows and also the uh, market makers will follow as well. So it's hard to predict the growth, Tim, but at the same time, I think we're doing a lot of things to create the capital efficiencies that make CME's platform extremely attractive for years to come. Terry, we'll have you back. Thank you so much. Always good to see you. Melissa, I only have one question for you. What day is oh, it? Oh, I get it. Uh, <laughs> see, he pays attention. <laughs> He's got to get the application. And don't laugh at him. No encouraging of this. (laughs) Terry, good to see you. Thank you. Terry Duffy, chairman and CEO of the CME. Steve Grasso, what's your take on the stock? So when I look at the stock, well, let's talk technicals first. So the the bigger the base, the higher. In outer space. That's one, sort of. So it's been building a base since about May uh, around these levels. I think that you can blast out of here. You're nice. going to aggravate it with just Guy or Guy and me. Both. So, thank you. And I think <laughs> you can move substantially higher from here. I think he's right. The retail investor is where the puck is going, and he's doing all the right things to cater to that investor and grow his transactional base. That would be the longer the base, the higher, the higher in space. space. Well, I said. The great Louise Yamada. She's in the Parthenon as well. Of course. There are a lot of people in the Lots Parthenon. It's crowded up there. Crowded. Coming up, Amazon <laughs> is on deck to report tomorrow. <laughs> After the bell, so should you add this one to your cart? Well, the options action next. You've got more on that Uber story we brought you earlier. Deidre Bose has got it. Deidre. Hey, Melissa. I'm hearing from two sources familiar that this is SoftBank selling a significant portion of its Uber stake to make up for losses that it has seen in Chinese ride-hailing company Didi. Remember that Didi recently went public and amidst the crackdown from Beijing has lost a lot of its value. SoftBank's stake has decreased by about $4 billion. So what I'm hearing is that that SoftBank is now selling a substantial portion, 45 million shares, which represents about one-third of its Uber stake to make up for those losses in Didi. We will get more details when they file the 13F, but for now, sources are telling me that this is SoftBank going to market. Wow. Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa, Tim Seymour, when we were talking about the Chinese crackdown, you mentioned SoftBank specifically. And, you know, we we're all wondering who would have felt the most pain with this massive liquidation of, of Chinese tech stocks. And here you have SoftBank is feeling some pain, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, no question. And there's been a lot of questions of were there big accounts? And in this case, these guys are monsters that, that felt the kind of pain that you've seen in a couple of other recent blow ups. So um, not good news. Also, I mean, you, you don't necessarily uh, sell something you're feeling good about uh, as a function of something else you lost. And, and I don't think this is you know a margin call, per se. Um, so it's it's concerning. Obviously, uh, core shareholder, someone that's been there from the beginning. Yeah. Taking some chips off the table. But uh, I don't like that news. All right. Uh, Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade, Tim. I'm expecting 
Upward revisions on EPS for Ford. Take Ford. Eight. Micro Futures, I'm going to go with CME Group. Steve. General Electric, GE, 21 and 21. Got to believe. Guy. You see that AMD there, sister? Yeah, yeah. I know you did. That's it. That's it. Back to you. <laughs> All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.